How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, Mel King, At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. What is this? What, what are we doing? What in God's name are we doing? What? Our lives! What, what kind of lives are these? We're like children. We're not men. No, we're not. We're not men. It's the nightcap. Are we going to be sitting here when we're 60 like two idiots? We should be having dinner with our sons when we're 60. We're pathetic. You oh. know that? Yeah, like I don't know that I'm pathetic. On WGR Sports Radio 550. So then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? Yes. Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. You know, it's like a there's like a wash cycle going on in my head right now with different sports takes and sports opinions. Mm. There's so much happening right now out there. The Super League, the NBA, Don Granado, the draft, fantasy with the draft, rookie too draft much. stuff. There's too much. And I don't know which one is going to come out first. The wheel's going to stop and then it's going to land on something. Brendan Keeney, Joe DiBiase here on the Nightcap. 803-0550 is the phone number. Plus, I had some coffee. When I say some coffee, I don't know what qualifies a lot of coffee. For Two- me, any amount of coffee because I, I okay. just don't drink coffee. So any amount of caffeine would would get me going. Is that what do you find then when you have even a little bit of caffeine? It's just chaos. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just amped. you're not a caffeine guy. Not a caffeine guy. I try not to be. But some, yeah, I don't. I, I got off the energy. The last time I had like a caffeinated, well, like a drink to have caffeine. I don't know if I've ever had a drink because I was like, oh, I need a boost of energy. I don't think I've ever well, done that. Maybe you'll have to do it now that you're uh, doing MMA training. Soon, soon, you're gonna need some caffeine for that. Wake up early in the morning. So. I've Sal was on the station the other day. He's doing boxing lessons. Now you're doing this, and everyone there's an, one of my other buddies is doing something similar. It's like jujitsu, maybe. Yeah. It's like I, I got to do it. That's but what, that's what I want to do. It's so time consuming. I'm already doing a workout regimen thing. I would have to basically give up in the middle of that. Um, maybe in the summer. What are we'll we all see. preparing for? You know, <laughs> <laughs> is something on the way, on the way? Is there uh, <laughs> going to be a royal rumble here at work or something? Um, we've had that debate, by the way. Amazingly, who would win a royal we, rumble? We've here? had a, a WGR royal rumble debate, and I'm pretty sure Bulldog won the voting. That, that's if I remember, who right. I would vote for. I think I was on Jeremy for that. Jer- Jeremy has got. I think sneaky athleticism, but um, 
All right, Jody Biasi, Brendan Keeney here on the Nightcap for the next hour. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we've got Sabre games on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, so we'll be here on Monday and Wednesday, today being Monday. I want to talk about the top of the NFL draft. We will do that. But just at the beginning here, just to get it out of the way, how plugged in are you to the Super League storyline um, overseas? I've tried to talk. I'm not extremely knowledgeable about okay. European soccer, but I have talked with a number of friends and people who I know are in the know about this kind of stuff, okay. and I feel like I could have a conversation about I, it. I am very consumed by this today. I am very interested in it. It's wild to me that this has happened because it always seemed like a bargaining tool. And if you don't know what's going on, the English Premier League, La Liga, the Bundesliga, the French League, Serie A and Italy – Every league's kind of got two or three teams at the top that are just, they're mega teams. They're mega clubs. Like, imagine the Golden State Warriors as a super team a couple years ago in the NBA, but there's always one of those. Like, every year, there's a team that you know they're going to finish first or second. And those teams collectively across the continent have gotten together, and they have decided that they are not going to play in the UEFA Champions League, which typically is the league where all of those teams play against each other. The top four teams in the Premier League get in, the top two teams in the Spanish League get in, the top two teams in the Italian League get in, and so on. And then they all play it out. But the thing that's become, uh, that is increasing with UEFA, that came out actually yesterday before the Super League news, was they continue to expand and expand and expand. So, okay, we're allowing teams from Greece. Now we're allowing two teams from the Netherlands. Belgium's going to get their champion in here. Uh, now we're going to add an extra team from Germany. They're going to be at five now instead of four. Like You are diluting the product in a money grab to get more teams in, to get more games on television. And the big clubs at the top are looking at that and saying, well, we're good every year. And these other teams never have any chance of winning this thing. So why do we have to split all this revenue with them? It, it reminds me not too lot. There's not a lot of comparables to pro sports in North America, but it kind of reminds me of what the NCAA has done with March Madness to where you've got the first four now and you're up to 64 teams. Maybe that was increased a couple of years ago. Well, you're, you're up to 68. To get well, to 68. 64. 68 to get to 64. Maybe there's even talk they're going to expand that first four in the next couple of years. You've got college football that is talking about an eight-team playoff maybe at some point down the road. I know actually college hockey's doing that. And you're really, to me, what you're doing is you're taking revenue out of the pockets of the big clubs and you're giving them and you're spreading them around to the littler ones that are now a part of this tournament. And these European mega clubs are saying, no, we're done. We're going to go form our own league. There's going to be 20 teams. That's it. And guess what? 15 of us are never leaving. So we're not going to have it where, you know, these billion-dollar entities like Manchester United and Manchester City have an off year, maybe because of injuries, and, oh, they finish fifth in the Premier League. So guess what? You're not getting an entry ticket to the Champions League. You're not getting that extra revenue stream that you get normally because you had an off year. And what I think these clubs are trying to do is they're trying to guarantee themselves that revenue by creating their own Super League. But 
the, the blowback has been amazing. Like, UEFA calling them snakes and saying they're going to ban players from the World Cup and they're not going to be allowed in the FIFA video game. <laughs> and then you've got the other side being like, well, let's create our own video game. We'll just create our own <laughs> World Cup. And if we're going to do this, go all the way. Yeah, like every, anything you want to take us out of, we will just do it ourselves because we are the ones with the leverage here. We're the teams that make the money because good luck having a Champions League without the 12 most interesting teams in the league that are in the, in the continent that are always winning. So... I just think it's it's so interesting to look at a complete revolution in a sport that is happening overseas. And I think it is fueled by a lot of the American owners of those teams. Because that is increasing. Chelsea, Fenway Sp- Sports Group. Yep, Fenway Sports Group owns Liverpool. John Henry yep. um, leading the way there. They own the Red Sox. Actually, LeBron James is a part owner, too. The Rams owner. Stan the Rams uh, owner. Sean Conkey. No, Stan Kroenke. Shad Khan is the Jaguars, Jaguars owner. owner. He yeah. owns a smaller club, I think. But anyways, you're looking at all of that, and I think this is a bit of American influence because one thing I was reading about this story earlier today is soccer is such a growing sport among young Americans and in Asia that these teams are making more money marketing themselves to the United States and to Asia than they are to their own fan bases at home. And that's where I think this is an interesting dynamic that we'll never see here. Because where do the Sabres make their money? Buffalo. Where do the Bills make their money? Right. Buffalo. Where do the where do the you know where do the Memphis Gri- Grizzlies make their money? Memphis. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot there, there's some teams, you know, like the Warriors that in the past go across the country, the Patriots. You don't have this effect to where these billion dollar owners of these soccer teams right now had to make a decision. Do they go with the money, and do they go with fans of their teams that don't even live on the same continent, or do they do they side with the fans that go to the games, that want them to be in the Champions League, that want them to be in the Premier League? Because right now, they're picking the U.S. and Asia, and that to me is just that's a wild concept right. that we'll never see here. You know, you said that there's not a lot of comparables because sports here are obviously. So they're different. Americanized. There's, you're guaranteed a spot every single year. You're going to make your money. There's going to be that. There's no relegation process. There's none of that. And everyone's somewhat on an equal footing in American sports, right? Even the teams that are better can still can't spend a certain amount of money compared. You know, it's not like you can just spend all this money in football. Now, you can a little bit in baseball, and that's probably where it changes a little bit. But the best comparable I saw for what's going on with the Super League is if the top college football teams decided to make their own league because they knew they were, even if they were the eighth best team in the SEC, they're probably a top 20 team in the country. Yep. And so if like the top eight SEC teams were like, hey, Notre Dame, hey, Texas, hey, Clemson, let's go form our own league and we'll be in a playoff every single year. That's like the comparable. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think so. And hasn't that been talked about in college sports? At least been some discussion. Like these teams will get together and they'll go away from the NCAA and they'll kind of make their own rules. Because I think I have heard about I, – I feel like it's less about um, – Is it more about eligibility? And I, yeah, I think it's more about protesting the NCAA. Okay. 
Because there's some I the thing I wonder and like you can we can make this comparison for college sports if that happened if Ohio State and Alabama yeah. and Clemson and USC and Penn State like they all got together the top I don't know thirty schools in the country and they decided we're gonna make our own league away from the NCAA what what would happen to the product because I'm a very casual college football fan and I am I, not. I, I you, live and you, breathe college football. And I'm guessing, I don't know this, would you hate it? Would you hate that? Notre Dame, too. You were in the Notre Dame hat. They're a part of that, of course. Like Notre Dame now is playing the top 30 schools in the country. That's what their entire schedule is made up every year. And they will no longer be playing, you know, Kent State. Oh, that's Because that question. is That's, that's kind question. of what happens in the Champions League. And I think... Those hardcore fans, they want that journey. They want that qualifying against the third best team in the Czech Republic, playing in you know a, a two thousand seat stadium, even though their players are you know they're million dollar players, like tens of millions of dollars spent on these guys. Messi's playing in some some town in Denmark in the Champions League to qualify to get to the next round. Like I think the hardcore fans love that journey. Yeah, but if you're trying to appeal to a a bigger audience. You're trying to grow the sport. You're trying to get those casual fans. How do you do that? Well, soccer does it with Real Madrid versus Manchester City or Real Madrid versus Juventus with Ronaldo. And I think college football similarly does that with if Alabama's playing Michigan this week instead of South Carolina State or or Citadel, but don't you know, you think I'm much loses, more likely to watch. Don't you think it loses its luster by that, that's being oversaturated? The, the big games are oversaturated. And another thing is, if 30 of the best teams in the country, there's two, here's two things. If the 30 best teams in the country are all in the same league and play each other in some sort of scheduling format, you know, ups, the idea of an upset becomes... Le- no, you're right. Like it like, takes that element away. Yes, it like you you take that possibility of a major upset kind of out of the equation. And these are 18 to 22 year old kids who are prone to having bad games. And you can you can watch an Appalachian State beat a Michigan. Like that has happened. It doesn't. It's not going to happen all the time. That's why it's a huge upset. But if you completely take away that possibility, then. That's kind of then you rob yourself of great sports moments, right? And I'm not saying you can't have a great sports moment with two amazing teams because you don't necessarily need it to be an upset for it to be a great sports moment. But you know, you're talking about Alabama, Michigan. That's a that's a game that you don't get to see all the time. You don't get to see uh, Notre Dame play Ohio State every year. You don't get to see Texas play against X every year. Like I think that's one of the cool parts about college football mm-hmm. is that you have these matchups just kind of once in a blue moon. You know, like you no know, before a couple of, there's matchups every year that don't really ever happen. Mm-hmm. And and I like that about college football. Um I so I would be against it. I would be against it in in college football even though I know for a fact the team that I pull for would be a part of that big group, that yeah. mega group without question. Last thing I'll say on this, because I don't want to spend all night on the Super League, even though I think it's super interesting what's going to happen. I wonder how far UEFA's bluff will go. Their bluff, well, I think is a bluff, is that they will kick 
Liverpool and the Manchester teams and Chelsea, they're out of the Premier League if you do this. Well, not the Premier League, the Champions League, No, the Premier League, too. They're saying you're out of the Premier League if you do this. And they're saying the same— UEFA can do that? UEFA oversees all those leagues. They are the governing body of European soccer. And that's why this is a power struggle right now. Because they're th- these big mega clubs are trying to be their own governing bodies because they don't like the rules that have been set up for them. And what I wonder, though, is how far will UEFA take it? Because right now what they're saying is you're out of your home domestic leagues. You're out of the Champions League. The players that play, even though... Like, I watched Liverpool versus Leeds, Leeds United today. And Jurgen Klopp, the manager, like, tough job. Because I think probably he hates this decision. But it was made at the ownership level. So what can you really say? The players, I'm guessing, don't love this. There's but, already examples of a couple of them saying that it's yeah, terrible and they and, hate it. But even if you were if you were staunchly against it, like you're you're taking a risk going against the decision that you're the guy who just signs that signs your paychecks just made. So the players and the managers, though, are the kind of the ones taking the brunt of this because one of the other threats from UEFA is, well, now you're not playing in the World Cup if you play in the Super League. And that's where I think they're bluffing because I don't believe that they won't allow them to play in the World Cup if this Super League happens. There's no way. The, the networks won't let FIFA and UEFA do it. They won't let them carry that through because if you're ESPN or you're Sky Sports in England or you're whoever the biggest carrier of the World Cup is in Asia. Like, all these mega-million-dollar, billion-dollar TV deals around the world, you're going to go into those meetings with your partners and say, listen, we're not, there's no Ronaldo. You can't market him for the World Cup. There's no Messi. You can't market him for the World Cup. Christian Pulisic, who plays for Chelsea, the big U.S. star that, no doubt, the next time the U.S. is in the World Cup, he is going to be a marketing machine to get people to watch their games. You got to tell ESPN, no Christian Pulisic. There's, n- I-, I can't believe that their networks will go along with that. And that's where I think they're bluffing. I don't think that's where they go through with it. Especially when the players are really not at fault here. They're just kind of going with the whims of their teams. So, I don't know. I, I would love to see what happens, but again, I do not believe that they will ban players from playing in the FIFA World Cup. It's your it's your biggest tournament of the year, and if you're upset with something that the European clubs did, I mean, you're taking away 90% of your great players? Like, that's where the great players play, that the big mega clubs. And I just, I don't believe, I won't believe it. I won't believe it. Pulisic, too. I, I would be so mad if he wasn't in the next World Cup. Like, the U.S. is actually, now it's being talked about that they have, like, their best potential World Cup roster in 25 years. They just cracked the top 20 of the FIFA rankings for, for nations for, like, the first time since the 90s, or maybe the two, or late 2000s. First time in over a decade that they've done that. And you're going to go take away their best player. Like, just... Because of what the owner of Chelsea did, that that I won't believe. So we'll see how it goes. You don't like my rel- my uh, relegation plan for the NHL, by the way. It's not that I don't like it. I just think, it's, think it's so realistic. impossible to even get there. I just think the NHL would see the dollars at the end of the day and think. So if you don't know, I was tweeting about it and I wrote an article about it at our website. It kind of relates to Seattle expanding into the league. Can we get to forty teams? 
find eight cities. The cities I picked out don't have to work, don't have to be the ones, but Quebec has wanted a team. Saskatoon is not a big market. In fact, it probably would be the tiniest market by a lot in North American sports, but they built an NHL arena with the hopes of getting one. Um, Hartford, Portland once maybe wanted an NHL team way back when. Houston. Houston recently. Eugene Melnick of the Senators was talking about going there. Cleveland used to have an NHL team. Milwaukee. Yeah, sure. You You find eight cities that could sustain an NHL club, and you have them all pay their big... What what did Seattle pay to get in the four hundred some million dollars? Yeah, so we're talking billions of dollars in expansion fees, and this is how you get relegation in North American sports. For me, forty is m- way too many to to have one big league. And I wonder if we'll get to this point naturally. It might be fifty years down the road, but look at the rate of expansion. It started to slow down, but. We were at the NHL was at 20, and then they were at 24, and then 28, and then 30, and now they're at 32. Who's not to say they'll get to 33 or 34 in the next decade? Like at some point, the league becomes too big to where you can't have it all as one entity. And that's where I like my relegation idea two NHLs, an A and a B, you can call them whatever you want. A and NHL A and NHL B is probably pretty lame. I would never do that. And then. The top 20 is the bot. or I'm sorry, the top league, like the NHL A, would be 20 teams. The bottom three each year go down to the NHL B, and then the top three teams from the NHL B go up to the NHL A. And that's basically my relegation idea. There's a lot of more, a lot more details would have to be worked out to get that. Um, I think you, if you the think Sabres were not in the middle of a 10 year playoff drought, this would be an easier sell on me. Well, <laughs> well, let, let me let me ask you though. <laughs> I, I get that they would have been in the bottom league, the bottom NHL this entire time. They also would have been playing a lot more interesting games. I think. Yeah. Like if they were in, if they were in the bottom tier of the NHL, in my relegation make believe land here, and they were playing to get into the top league year after year. How would you run something like a draft? That see now now we're already two things that I didn't haven't thought about yet, because that would be tough. Um, would you have you the same have to, stipulations as like they? You would have to go with the bottom tier teams first. How would you do free agency? Does all do well, every club pick. have the same amount of money? Is there a salary cap? Is salary there... cap is the same. Facilities are the same. That's that's another thing here. That's why you could never do it with the AHL for this. So how could you convince an owner? That you that that is now owns a team that's in playing in NHLB and say, listen, you can't sign any good players because naturally they won't want to play for you, and you still have all of the normal expenses. How expensive it is to upkeep uh, NHL arena compared to a a soccer stadium mm-hmm. with the sheer amount of power that you have to generate. Uh, you have to. All these expenses are the same. You might pay, maybe paying a little bit less in salary, but all these expenses are the same. And now you have to try to compete to even get up to the point of competing. And then you're most likely just going to be a tweener for a long time before you have like a crazy breakthrough like Leicester had in the Prem, or now they're a power. But it's not like that happens a lot. Like, I don't know. I think it's a a tough sell to uh, an American sports owner. What I think is uh, 
the the one thing that might get them and push them over the edge is the one hundred million dollars they would make each from the expansion fees. But is that worth it? I don't like. It's about the. I mean, it's it's, it's what some if you're percentage playing in of the NHLB teams. for a, a decade and a half. Well, then you got to do better drafting and developing to get up there. You're still going to sell tickets because oh, fans I are just, still going to be interested. I just love how you just say, "Oh, you just got to do better." Well, no, like I mean, it's still, and I don't want to always compare it to soccer, but there's nothing else to compare it to. Like those teams, they bring up their young players, and then once they're like in their primes, if they're all really good, then that's how you get to the top league. And this happened with like Wolverhampton a couple years ago. Like they had a a, a crop of good young players get to the big club, and they all played really well, and they got promoted to the Premier League, and they're not winning the title because in that sport there's way less parity than anywhere else in sports. But they're, they were top five, top ten for a few years in a row there, and like they weren't even near the relegation battle. Don't you think and that like, the parity is what American sports fans love? Like If you create a relegation system and two leagues, you are inherently creating a sport system that uh-huh. cannot have parity. That's well, what like, you're doing. And this is a this is a league mm. Joe that has prided itself on the amount of parity it has. It's like it's one of their marketing taglines. I, I think you can still have parity. Why why am I not having parity anymore? You just described it like you're going to have teams that benefit from being good. And yeah. so they're going to be good and they're going to stay good because they're going to be making oh, the money man. and they're going to want and they're going to get players but that are attracted to them. It's going to be harder for them to stay good because of the the like suddenly when you're picking 10 well, spots lower the in the draft than you were ever. Let's year. talk about the prem. Yeah. Is it difficult for them to stay is it difficult for those top teams to stay at least in the prem? You don't even have to be a top 4 to top 6 team. Everton has been essentially <laughs> irrelevant. They've been like a mid-table prem a team forever, prem team. but they get that money every single year. Mm-hmm. And if you can't play against those NHL B teams because they're technically in a different league now, mm-hmm. It's not like they're See, getting that that revenue source. They are in a different league, but that's why I'm trying to eliminate that part of it as much as possible because that's going to be the holdup. And one thing that I threw in there, just kind of my own idea, was the winner of the NHLB gets entry into the Stanley Cup playoffs each year. So it is giving you something to play for to in relation to the top league, not just that you're going to be playing there next season now, Um and you would have to, I mean, you could do other things like the Premier League does where they have uh, a big, big cash reward to the winner of the second club. In fact, I think this was true a couple years ago. I wonder if it still is. The championship, which is tier two of English soccer, the winner of that league is that's like the biggest cash prize for any, any team in sports that right. year. Yeah. So I guess you could do something like that like, to make it worth it. Yeah. Um, it's an obscene amount of money. But, like, to me, I think I would be more interested in the Sabres had this format existed in the last 10 years. Because, I, you know, like, you're, you're still bad, but you're winning. You know? And then, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe I've exhausted my arguments here. I, don't, I just don't. There would be kings you'd have to work out, but. I don't see how you could convince an owner that has set has made mm-hmm. this investment for a league set up the way that it is to completely radically change it. And that's why I have a hard time talking about it because it's so radical. Like, to me, it would have had to be, like, this is something and, that would have had to be done at the inception of the league in the first place. Okay. 
and you don't believe that a hundred million dollars would be enough to to change their minds, which is just by the numbers we just threw out there, just speculating. Uh, if you're going on what Seattle's expansion fee was, and then you multiply that by eight, divide it for each owner up. I mean, you're talking about about a hundred million dollars in expansion fees. I don't think so because think I think enough? the long term ramifications of being bad would scare away too many owners. I'm going to have to keep working on this. It's a campaign. Maybe, the, right, the owners are who I need to be campaigning towards. It's the expansion checks. Maybe they got to get higher for that to work. What number do they say yes? $500 million? I have no idea. A billion dollars? Like, that's unrealistic, but I just want relegation in sports. North American sports. But you're right. Unless it was at the outset, you made the best point. If it wasn't there at the foundation, I have a how time, are you going to get yeah. it in there? So, all right, 803-0550 is the phone number. We will change gears, talk NFL draft when we come back. There is a rumor from, I mean, Ian Rappaport. Does that graduate to report? I think it's a report that the Dolphins might be moving out of the sixth spot, even though they just traded up to there after they made their trade a month ago. So we'll talk about what's happening at the top of the NFL draft when we come back. Jody Biasi, Brendan Keeney, this is the Nightcap on WGR. Shefty, what are you hearing about who's going to be the third quarterback off the board? It'll be Mac Jones. So I would imagine if it's Mac Jones, that means that, that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be traded then? No, not right now. Right now the plan would be for the 49ers. Again, if the draft were held today, they've got to go through the process and they've got to assess all the quarterbacks. I believe that in the end, they will pick Mac Jones at three. That'll be the pick. And they will keep Jimmy Garoppolo this year. Now, look, could New England decide we're going to give you this and this on draft day or draft weekend and the Niners make a decision to trade him? Yeah, that that could be. Adam Schefter, a few weeks ago on Rick DiPietro's ESPN radio show. Did you know that was a thing? Is he still getting paid by the Islanders? Yeah. The, the Bobby Bonilla of the NHL? Yeah, he is. Um, how much longer is on that deal? There can't be that much more, right? Hasn't he been gone for like 10 years? That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> DiPietro's buyout goes till 2029. So he gets a check for a million and a half dollars for the next eight years. Nine. And he hasn't played for them since 2013. That is more recent than I would have thought. 2013? Yeah. Well, remember, he was like a, wasn't he like a backup for them at the end? I remember. I am not well versed on the career of Rick DiPietro. Okay. He, I'm pretty sure he was like a backup at the end. Um, three games played in 2012, 13, eight games played the year before that, 26, eight, five. He hadn't played more than 26 games since 2008. That's probably why. He had like four of those five seasons. He played less than 10 games. That makes sense. All right, anyways, um, the point there about sh- about why I played that is uh, two weeks ago, April 6th, Schefter said it's Mac Jones. Like everyone was saying it. Everyone was saying it was Mac Jones. He was the heavy betting favorite to be the third pick. Today... Justin Fields is the favorite for the third pick. Jones is actually tied with Trey Lance in the odds. And you've got Jeremy Fowler saying from ESPN, the Niners don't know who they're picking. And I think they played this perfectly. They started, I think the Niners started the Mac Jones rumors. And I think they did it 
far enough in advance of the draft, six weeks ahead, to where they can get away with, oh, we weren't playing everybody. We just we had enough time to change our mind. You know, we got just we saw Justin Fields play. Now, I'm still struggling to find a great motivation to why they would do that, <laughs> other than just playing around with New England, trying to make them think, hey, you're not getting Mac Jones, you better trade us a first for Jimmy Garoppolo. But I don't know how the Fields part of that works in here. So I, I just don't see a motivation. I I just don't. I'm know not saying there isn't one. They could they could just be trolling. Does anyone thought about that? They could just be trolling. Would that be the coach in the league that would just be doing it to do it? Could just be trolling just to, uh, for the sake of trolling. Maybe. I mean, look what it's. To be fair, it's generated a lot of buzz about San Francisco this offseason. They've had the spotlight for the past several weeks. A team that we really right. right. If the, if we knew on. The day they made the trade that they loved Justin Fields, we would have never talked about them Exactly, because it, it's like it, no one talks about the Jaguars and the Jets anymore. Yeah. Everyone knows what's going on. And here's the thing. I don't want to know who the 49ers are taking oh, me neither. until it's announced. Until Roger Goodell calls that name on April 29th, I do not want to know. Because, what, the first 40 minutes of the draft is going to be scripted, essentially? Yeah. Where I keep coming back to when we talk about the top of the draft, though, is the Patriots. Because day by day, I'm more worried that they're going to end up with a guy. They're going to end up with one of these top guys. Really? Because I'm getting less and less worried by the day. Well, my problem is I don't see a fourth team. I don't see a clear fourth team. Now, it could happen. Because it's going to go Lawrence, Wilson to the Jaguars and Jets. The Niners will take their guy at three. And then who's the fourth quarterback? It could be Atlanta. It could be, but I, I am Matt Ryan, you can't get out of that this year in any way. It is $75 million, $70.5 million of dead cap. Next year, it's 40 Trade him, release him, doesn't matter. $40 million bucks. You draft a guy this year, and all that talk about how great it is to have a quarterback on his rookie deal, you're burning two years of that because Matt Ryan's not going anywhere. So... If I were them, I would do it anyway because I'm not going anywhere with Matt Ryan as my quarterback. Their over-under win total this year is 7 on a 17-game schedule. They're not competing with Tampa or Green Bay or New Orleans or whoever. So what's the difference? You know, time to turn the page, especially with a new GM and new coach. I don't think they're doing that, though. I think they brought in Arthur Smith and they brought in Terry Fontenot and... They held on to Julio Jones. They could have traded him this offseason, I guess, if they really wanted to. Like, there were no moves to signify they're starting over. And to me, my guess is that they will sit there at four. Well, maybe they'll trade down. Maybe that's the most likely outcome. They'll trade down. They'll get pieces that will help them win right now. And they'll play out the final two, three years of Matt Ryan's contract, and they'll try to do the best they can. That's my guess for what they do. And if that happens, which... I don't, would you disagree that that's not the more likelier outcome? Would you bet on them picking a quarterback right now at four? Ooh, that's a good question. Because of right now, yes, I would. Okay, yes, I would. If, I, if I they don't, don't think, I don't think they're staying there. I think they will either choose a quarterback or trade down. Okay, for whatever it is, because so, why wouldn't you? So let's say for this sake of conversation, they trade down. Mm-hmm. That's where New England comes in to a very clear path to getting Trey Lance. Really, Trey Lance is the guy. I'm Lance. not scared of Mac Jones. I'm not. Same here. Who so, who comes up and gets Trey Lance ahead of them? The Broncos. 
Well, here's the thing. The Broncos maybe are a good one. And that this is where I want to connect it to the Rappaport rumor that I teased before the break is New England's got to come get this guy. They got to go from 15 to somewhere to get Trey Lance if the Falcons don't do it at four. Maybe four is that pick. They got to go 11 spots. But then you've got Cincinnati at five, and it sounds like they're not moving. They're just going to sit there and pick Penny Sewell or they're going to pick Jamar Chase. It works well for them because they're going to get a stud. Yeah. And then there's Miami at six. Miami's not doing business with New England. They're not going to hand them their ticket right. to their next franchise quarterback. Kind of similarly to, I think, Atlanta wouldn't move with Carolina. You know, what wouldn't surprise me is if the Broncos look at Miami as that destination to move up to, to prevent New England from moving up. Sure. And that's I think I need Denver to be that motivated. Because otherwise, I'm counting on Detroit. And there's nothing about them right now circling in these rumors. It's, it's Denver and it's Detroit. If Denver or Detroit don't move up, to get Trey Lance, if the Falcons don't do it, then New England's going to get him. New England's going to move up and get him. And it could be to seven, to the Lions. It could be to eight, to the Panthers. That's why I think Denver needs to be motivated enough not just to sit there and pick him at nine if he's sitting there. They need to be motivated enough to move up and go get him, to beat out New England. You don't think Minnesota has any? I thought about them. but Because they're, they're at 14. I think they're more likely to pick a guy in the second round. Oh, that would I. Calumon. You know what? I have a I have a theory that you should never take a quarterback in the second round. I love that theory <laughs> because <laughs> if you think he's it. your guy, then he should be a first round pick, right? And if he's not, and if he, and if he's not your guy to be made in the, in the first round, then just keep building a team until right. you find a better guy, right? But I think they will pick one of those guys. I think they'll go. Oh, we've got a year left of Kirk Cousins' deal before we can get out of it, and then next year. He'll be 35. We'll cut him and get out of the cap hit, and we'll see what Kellen Mond can do. We'll see what Kyle Trask can do. There's another one now that's escaping me. There's like a third, second-round guy. From um, Stanford? Mills? Mills. Mills is the other one. Like, I think the Vikings do that. I don't see them moving up from 14. But, you know, that would be – would that be the surprise of the draft right now? That's also not like – like the Chargers are never doing that. Something you could conceivably see happening, but no one is seeing coming. Minnesota would be that. How about the Giants? The Giants too. They they have they're another team I think of for second round quarterback, hedging their bet basically against Daniel Jones. That would be so kind of like the Eagles did last year with Jalen Hurts. They're hedging against their starting quarterback. Would the Giants do that? I don't think they'd move up. That's why I think New England has a good shot at one of these guys, and they have a great shot. If the Niners circle back around to Mac Jones. If, now, the, if the original rumors were true and the Niners take Mac Jones, show me how New England's not getting Justin Fields or Trey Lance. They have to, right? They have they to. They get one, for sure. It's the only one. Now Now that is only if, uh, so say the, the Niners take Mac Jones three. Yep. Maybe Detroit, that makes Detroit more motivated to take a quarterback this year. If the Niners do it? If the Niners take Mac Jones, it might make Detroit more motivated oh, I see. to move up. And say say they like Fields, yep. but they know Fields is going to three is going to San Francisco at three. Maybe they would be a team to move up for Justin Fields. Shouldn't they? I think they should. Shouldn't they I mean, do your quarterback is Jared Goff? I think you should do you're you're, you're sitting eighth right now in a draft that has five conceivable starters. 
right? Almost right off the bat. Like, Trey yeah. Lance might need some seasoning because he's really, really hasn't played football in his career. Well, to me, that, that I've been saying he should get on the field then. <laughs> Mac, Mac Jones, I don't think anyone is really sure of what Mac Jones is for a couple reasons because he's not a great athlete mm-hmm. and he played at a pretty insulated program. Like, he was pretty protected with the talent he had around him at uh, Alabama. So I'm not really sure how NFL teams evaluate him. You know, I look at this, it's such a fascinating draft because the top two picks are pretty much set in stone. The San, it, it appears now that San Francisco moved up for the sake of moving up. They didn't have a person in mind. They knew they would fall for one of them. They knew that they were going yeah. to get one of those guys, and that by the day, that seems more and more like that was their idea. We don't care who's at three. But we know We one. need yeah. a guy at three. Yep. And it's almost in Miami almost did the same thing just for a different uh, position. It looks like Move, yeah, from moving up oh, to six. I'm sorry, I never got to. The, I'm I'm so sorry, I never got to the Rappaport report. Rappaport says that the Dolphins would consider moving down from six, and they're getting calls on that. And that's a weird one because they moved up from twelve to six after they traded down from three. Right. So they clearly had some motivation that we're not high enough at twelve. So we got to get to six. I think and the now they're kind of doubling back on that. It seems a bit. I think the motivation originally was we need to ensure ourselves one of the top playmakers, whether that's Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Devonte Smith, or Jalen Waddle. Mm-hmm. I think that was their thought. But if there's going to be five quarterbacks going in the top ten picks or top eleven picks, you're probably going to have a whoever you want mm-hmm. in you know because I think there's going to be a cornerback drafted. In the top ten, or top, I like yeah. Dallas seems like a likely landing spot for Dallas, Patrick Sertan yes. or J.C. Horn. Yeah, definitely. You're going to have Penny Sewell probably go two, and if he doesn't, he's not lasting too much longer. Mm-hmm. So there is a conceivable way that Miami can once again trade down and still get one of those four playmakers. So they're yeah. in they're in a really good spot. Good thing they traded up. Or maybe not. Like, I don't know. I think they'd probably get the same. Well, we'll see how far they would move down. They, the good thing is they're sitting at six and not Philly because that would have made that would have been even a better chance than New England moves sure. up. Because yeah. one thing the Bills can, can ride on here is that the Dolphins will not hand New England their franchise quarterback. Right. No matter what they pay them, I would imagine. So that's one good thing to have. Cincinnati not moving out of five is a good thing to have. Really, I mean, where do we start this conversation? Atlanta. Holds the keys to the top of this draft. 100%. I think the the draft essentially starts with Atlanta because we know that San Francisco's not moving out. San Francisco, I imagine we're going to find out what they do beforehand. I hate that I feel that way because I don't want to find out, Mm -hmm. but I imagine we'll have a pretty good idea of who they're going to take before next Thursday rolls around. And then... It's to, it's up to Atlanta. Do they stay put and grab a playmaker? Do they like Penny Sewell? You know, like I I don't know what they do. Do they trade down? Because right now I think they can. They're going to take Trey Lance. Like if I had to write a mock, if I was tasked with writing a mock draft, and I don't know why anyone would ever write a mock draft <laughs> because no one ever was like, yeah, this is a really good mock draft. No one ever says that. It's always, you don't know what you're talking about. Why would anyone write a mock draft? But anyway, if I had to write one, mm-hmm. Atlanta, I would have them taking Trey Lance, and I would have the 49ers taking Justin Fields. And, and honestly, a week ago, I would have said probably Mac Jones. 
Yep. Me but too. I, it, I mean, it's draft season, man. 803-0550 is the phone number. I got a bone to pick with Patrick Marlowe. We'll get to that and maybe some more draft stuff when we return. Last call in the nightcap after this on WG. I do feel responsibility to the fans and the Sabres, you know, contingent. You know, we're in the entertainment business. It should be entertaining. I, I want to be entertained. So I can only imagine the fans. And that was one thing that I had in mind was to make our games more intriguing, interesting, fun, entertaining. And with every team I've coached, this is no different. I'm not coaching. I'm not trying to coach to necessarily to this situation as much as I'm just coaching the way I coach. And that fits. And that's always been my philosophy of coach to it. We all love the game. So let's play it at a, at a level that we can enjoy it as well. Sing to me, Don Granado. Is there anybody left not on the Granado train? I am. I don't know him. Huh? I wouldn't. I don't know anyone who's who's not okay. on the Don Granado train. I don't know how you don't hire him at this point. You, you remove the interim tag at the end of the year. I agree because what are you basing your decision off of if you don't hire him? Right. You're basically saying there's nothing he could have done because he has made Rasmus Dahlin a completely different player. He has increased the opportunities for Casey Middlestat. That has worked. Tage Thompson looks better. All the young guys. Just go through the young. Just go through any of the young players on this team. They look way better under Don Granado than they did under Ralph Kruger. Um, and they're playing 500 hockey without Jack Eichel and with Dustin Tokarski in that. <laughs> like... You know what? The record is not undeniable. You're talking about the NHL Player of the Week, Joe. NHL Player of the Week, Dustin Tokarski. First one the Sabres have had in seven years. That's astounding. That's Tyler Ennis. Astounding. John not, Scott has won Not the a award. single person just had like three really good games nope. in seven years. Nope. John Scott had won the award since the Sabre had. <laughs> Probably from the All-Star Game yeah, appearance. Yeah, that would be my guess. Yeah. Um. Anyways, I got a bone to pick with Patrick Marlowe. Shoot. Congrats to him. You know, great. What a record. That's astounding. No, I thought that would have been an unbreakable record. 1,768 games. He will have played the most games in the NHL in history when he steps on the ice tonight against the the Golden Knights, breaking Gordie Howe's record. He has special gloves. You saw the picture, right? Yeah. They're black and gold gloves. They're like special edition CCM gloves for Marlowe's game tonight to celebrate him being the, the most, most games in NHL history. There are... I guess if we want to be really nitpicky, there's three issues with these gloves, but there's definitely two. I said, did you see them? And you said how the Hurricanes logo is not on there. The Hurricanes are funny. I, I love their social media team. They make me want to love them. They are analytics. They are, we're going to celebrate after games. They are, we're going to have the most fun Twitter account. I hate that the Hurricanes have become the most likable team in the league because I hate them. But they tweeted a picture of Marla, like, congrats to this Hurricanes legend. He was there. He wasn't ever there. They traded for him. They took a first round pick to take a salary, and then he went to San Jose. Yep. So he probably never stepped foot in Raleigh as a member of the Hurricanes. So they're not on there. Fine, whatever. They've got three logos on here. The Sharks logo is the biggest on the thumb. Obviously, he played way more games for them. They got the Penguins logo up there. He played a little bit for the Penguins last year, if people forget. And then the Leafs, who he played two seasons with, three seasons with. It's the wrong Leafs logo. It's their old logo. He didn't play with that logo. So they've got the wrong Maple Leafs logo on his celebratory gloves. That's problem number one. And the like the what the Sundin Leafs logo, the Kessel 
Leafs logo. That's the one that's on there, not the current one. And then on the left glove, on the front, it says most games played in NHL history, 1768th NHL games. It says 68th 68th NHL games. games. There's a grammar issue on the gloves. (laughs) Hopefully they get that corrected. I don't know if you could do that. Can they just take the threading out or something? Just draw over it with Sharpie. (laughs) That's what they should do. I mean, what are you doing? Who made these gloves? You can't have the old Leafs logo. All you got to do is Google the time span the Leafs use certain logos and then Marlowe's career. Takes two minutes. And then the other one, you're just, come on. I saw someone on Twitter, I won't mention the name, but he is like one of those hockey guys that everyone loves to hate, and I'll just leave it at that. And he... (laughs) There's a couple of those, but okay, yeah. And he was like poo-pooing this accomplishment by Patrick Marlowe. He was like, just so you know, Patrick Marlowe has never finished higher than ninth in Hart Trophy voting. He's like, who cares, man? I can't wait to see what he's got when Ovechkin breaks the Gretzky goal record, too. It's going to be something like that. Oh, my gosh. It's just like you can't just enjoy an incredible accomplishment by a human who obviously put all he had into his craft. You can't just enjoy that. You have to pick something apart. It's astounding. The guy's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, whether he finished above ninth or not. Yeah, He was drafted when I was, like, two. Right. And it's not like he was... You know, this isn't a Dominic Moore. This isn't some third, fourth line right. grinder. This he was a star player for a long time. Like he was never the best player in hockey. But who is? He was an all star player for over a decade. Like he was like I just don't I don't get why Yeah, it's a weird it was a that was a terrible job. The um He has one thousand one hundred and ninety six points. 566 goals, 630 assists, and your first comment is, well, you never finished over ninth in heart voting. Like, come on, man. Terrible. Um, the next big record to be broken, I think, will be the Ovechkin goal record. I think Ovechkin will break Gretzky's record for the most goals in NHL history. He is on fire lately. He has 17 goals in his last 22 games, and he will need them because I'm starting to think about it more and more. He needs five to six more years at a 30-goal pace. And right now, he's on a 48-game pace over 82 because 24 goals in 42 games, just under 47 goals. So he keeps playing like this. He'll get there before he turns 40. But I think Ovechkin will get it. I've talked about this a lot before. The math adds up. The motivation he has talked about, he will stick around for that record if he needs to. He is. There's no decline in his game. Like, to me, he could be 44 and just stand in one place on the power play and score 20 goals. So, Marlowe, congrats, breaks the record for most games played tonight from Gordie Howe. I think the next big one will be Ovechkin's goal record. And if we project out on his current pace, maybe a little bit of a decline, we're probably talking about another four or five years before he does that. Nothing else is in the window for anybody else. Another one on the horizon. If Yarmir Yager plays nine more seasons at 100 points per, he has a <laughs> shot at breaking Gretzky's record. That's amazing. Gretzky's records are just stupid sometimes. <laughs> like they're not even That's why Ovechkin's is so crazy cuz none of his records are ever touchable, but OV I think is going to get there. All right, that's it for me and Brendan on the nightcap tonight. Thanks everybody for listening. 6:30 puck drop. A rare one between the Sabres and Bruins tomorrow night. So we'll rejoin you on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Until then, have a good night. This has been the Nightcap on WGR.